0: Amen. Can we give God praise for our worship team one more time? Amen. So good. So good. Our God is so amazing, and it is our deepest prayer that you would leave here this morning just catching a glimpse of the greatness of God and that it would change everything, that you would not leave here the same, because when we encounter God's presence, we cannot stay the same. Amen? We are so glad that you are here this morning. It is no accident that God has brought every single one of you here, including those of you that are worshiping with us online. We are so glad that God has brought you to this place. We have a great God, and he is the one. Amen? Everybody say, the one. The one. Jesus is the one, and that's what we're going to dive deeper into today. We're starting a brand new sermon series, and it is called this, Official Epistles from Other Apostles. Yeah! Winning the record for longest sermon title in the history of church services. There it is. But that's what we're entering into. We'll get more to that in a little bit, but we're starting with the book of Hebrews. I don't know if there's any Hebrews fans out there, but that is the crux of where we're going today, that Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is the one. Everybody say the one. Now, our world has a fascination with finding the one, and it was written on our souls, to believe it or not. And so we encounter that in a lot of different ways. And we think about the one that pops up culturally in a lot of different ways. Maybe for your favorite sports team, you're looking for that one great next athlete that's gonna put you over the hump and win those championships and all of that. When one of the greatest basketball players of all time, LeBron James, when he was in high school, was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and the title was The chosen one. This is all over. It's in the movies that we love. The entire Matrix trilogy, if you think about it, is focused on Neo being the one, right, that will solve the Matrix and restore order. I don't know if there's any Star Wars fans out there, right, but Princess Leia puts the chip in and the hologram of Obi-Wan pops up and you hear the famous line, help us Obi-Wan, you're our only hope. We're still looking for the one, Maybe when it comes to relationships, you've had that moment where you are dating or you're looking for that special someone and you've been hanging out for a while and so inevitably your friends and family come to you and they kind of tap you on the shoulder and they say, hey, so do you think that they're the one? Whether you believe in that or I don't know if there's a lot of biblical credibility to that or not. It's a cultural phrase that we throw around a lot. And here's what I think all of those have in common. It's this. You and I were created to put our ultimate hope in someone or something, and our soul will not rest until we find it. We were created to look for that thing that can fill the ache inside, whether it's another person, or it's a thing, or it's a substance, or it's a circumstance, or it's a season of life, whatever that is, and we won't rest until we find it. For thousands of years, God's people had been looking for the one. This sets the stage for where we're going in the book of Hebrews today. They've been looking for the Messiah, the one who would come and restore order to Israel and kick out the Roman oppression. And and, and the Messiah would come and reign on David's throne forever and ever and ever. This was to be the one, the Messiah, but then he came and he didn't exactly fit their box but that is the focus of the book of hebrews where we're going today hebrews says this and answers the question emphatically yes jesus is the one he's above everything else he's better than everything else he is the one that we have been waiting for that's where the entire book is going but here's the problem is that god's people didn't fully believe it and if we're honest you and i don't fully live that way Either Our struggle is not that often we, have, we don't have a high view of Jesus. It's that we don't have a superior view of Jesus. Our problem a lot of times is not that Jesus is not a priority. He's just one of many priorities. And you know the old adage, when everything is a priority, nothing's a priority. It doesn't work that way. And so that's where we're headed today. C.S. Lewis is one of the greatest Christian authors, uh, leaders of all time, 20th 20th century theologian, former atheist, set out to disprove Christianity, and in doing so, ended up putting his faith in Jesus. And so a lot of you that are taking the Alpha class on Tuesday nights have heard of Lewis, and he says this in his exploration of Christianity. He says, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. I mean, end of sermon, end of church, end of point. We can all go home, right? Right? But if it's true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing that it cannot be is moderately important. The only thing it cannot be is so-so. The only thing it cannot be is lukewarm. That right there is a great summary of the book of Hebrews. To be lukewarm for Jesus makes no sense. The point is this. Jesus is above everything else because Jesus is better than everything else amen that that is the that is the truth that is the heartbeat Of the book of Hebrews. And I want to point you to that truth in a deeper way today. But before we dive into that, just a quick primer on the book of Hebrews. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open those up. Yes, we're one of those churches that says, bring your Bible to church. I know, or your app, whatever you got on your phone. There's free Bibles in the back, and there is no shame in that. Grab them, they're free, that's what they're there for. Grab one or two, give them to a friend. But we're going to be doing a deep dive into the book of Hebrews today. Now, it's important to understand some things about. Hebrews. Uh, The author is anonymous. This is the first book we've encountered for a while where there is wide-scale debate among uh, biblical theologians about who wrote the book of Hebrews. Nobody really knows for sure. Some would say Paul. Some would say another one of the apostles or one of his companions. But we do know this, that the author is very, very well connected with the early disciples and the apostles. They speak of them as if they were together. The author is making the assumption that their readers know the Old Testament. The scope, the storyline of God's people. And so it's important for us as you are reading through, as we're going through the whole Bible in a year, is that to really understand the book of Hebrews, I want to encourage you anytime there's a reference to go back and find that original passage in the Old Testament and get some of the context. Because the more you understand the references being made back, the more you're going to understand what the author of Hebrews is trying to say. So do you understand the main arc of God's people in the Old Testament? The audience is Jewish Christians or the namesake of the book Hebrews. There are two main goals of the book of Hebrews. Number one is to elevate Jesus as superior to anything or every, anyone. And number two, to encourage the audience to remain faithful to Jesus as they were facing persecution. Now, I was thinking about it, and some of you are like, well, that's great for them, but that was thousands of years ago. I think if there was two main goals for us at Hope Elam any time we gathered together, it would be that exact same thing, that you would not leave this place anytime you come here going, well, the music was okay today. Now, yeah, they sang some good songs. Sermon wasn't half bad, I guess. Breakfast was pretty good. Coffee wasn't flat, you know. Like, overall, pretty good experience at Hope Elam, okay? That is one way to experience church. Our deepest heartfelt prayer is that every time you leave here, you would leave those doors going, wow, Jesus is even more incredible than I could have ever imagined. That's our heartbeat. And secondly, you may not be under some persecution today, but maybe you're up against something. And maybe you walked in here today and there is a weight and there's a heaviness to your life and you're wrestling with something and you're like, man, I I don't know, but I need a word from the Lord today. Your circumstances may not change, but secondly, we want you to leave here every Sunday equipped to live like Jesus in the midst of your circumstances. Whatever that is, that I feel equipped to live like Jesus. Those would be two great goals as you head out of here every single week. So let's dive in. Hebrews is divided into four sections, believe it or not. This is kind of the way that my mind works and helped me understand. It's a long book, and there's a lot there. It's pretty weighty. So the, the, the point of Hebrews is that Jesus is superior in these four different ways. And some of the, the chapters overlap a little bit, but a way of understanding Hebrews is this. Jesus is superior to, in chapter 1 and 2, the angels and the Torah. In chapters 3 and 4, he's superior to Moses and the promised land. Chapters 5 through 7, zeroes on. on Jesus is superior to any other priest, including the great priest, King Melchizedek. Fourthly, in chapters 8 through 10, and then we'll get to the rest of the book in coming weeks, Jesus is superior to any other sacrifice and even the covenant. So the, a lot of this is hearkening back to the Old Testament, and so we've got to understand that. So we're just going to walk through those one at a time. First of all, the first section, Jesus is superior to the angels. Now you might say, well, duh, like I, I knew that. I didn't have to come here for you to tell me that. But again, in Jewish tradition, it was taught and loosely based on Deuteronomy chapter 33, that the Torah, first five books of the Bible, was delivered, the law was given to God's people and delivered to them by the angels, delivered to Moses for God's people. The angels were sort of messengers, and so they believed, so the, the, the angels were really, really to be esteemed pretty highly. They're the messengers of God's word. And so by saying that Jesus is superior to angels, which Hebrews is arguing here, the author is arguing that Jesus and his message of good news is superior to all other messengers. And so there are some warnings in the book of Hebrews which feel a little heavy But essentially it is God loving us well, caring for us, and the first warning is this. If Israel paid attention to the Torah given by angels, how much more should we pay attention to the good news that was brought by Jesus, the Son of God himself? Amen? So if you think that was important, Jesus is here, the greatest revelation of God. He is the Son of God, so don't miss the good news. We skip ahead to chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, this is verses 3 and 4. We read this. This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified it by signs and wonders, just like we sang this morning. Miracles, signs, and wonders. You don't want me singing that, okay? (laughs) It's right there. Miracles, signs, and wonders, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So to his audience and to us, Jesus has been revealed to us. The message could not be more clear. Don't miss the signs that Jesus is the one you've been waiting for. But so often what happens is sometimes the one, the thing that we've been looking for, is right in front of us and we miss it. We're oblivious to this. Going back to this idea of finding the one, oftentimes when it comes to finding that person or knowing the person that you're supposed to spend your life with, sometimes it's the gentlemen that have a little bit harder time picking up on the signs than the ladies. Ladies, can I get an amen to that? Dropping hints and you're getting to know each other and all of that. I I have first-hand personal knowledge of this. My sophomore year of college, I was just doing my thing and all of a sudden I find this attractive young volleyball player from Marshalltown. And we start hanging out, and I don't think much of it at first. We're, you know, my main goal in college was just to wear clean clothes uh, and not have laundry that smelled and all of that, get to class on time. Wasn't paying attention to the ladies too much. And so we're hanging out, and we're getting to know each other. And this goes on for about a year. Now, this young lady is pretty awesome, and my friends start to recognize it, but I don't recognize it. And after about a year, they come to me and they say, John, you think she likes you? You want to know what my response was? Absolutely not. No, there's no way. She has no interest in me whatsoever. And their response, are you blind? Are you kidding me? Pay attention to the signs. And I'm like, what signs? They're like, okay, they had like a PowerPoint presentation ready to go of like, John, you are completely oblivious to hold, like, pull, okay, here we go. So number one, have you noticed that she listens to you verbally process more than every, any other woman in the history of the world, right? She hasn't left. She's willing to listen to you talk all the time because all you do is talk all the time. Number two, who has helped you study for every test and exam that you've had the last couple semesters? Oh yeah, and here's the the kicker, right here. Who sat through, not just the Lord of the Rings, regular edition, who sat through the extended edition of that movie with you and only fell asleep twice and she was there at the end of it to hang out with you? Don't miss the signs, this woman is into you. And I'm like, oh, wow, I get it now. It took a while and seven years later, I put a ring on that finger and I'm so glad that I did. Because we have been married for 14 years, okay? So here's the thing. Goodness gracious. Don't miss the signs. And eventually I I did, and thank God I paid attention to the signs. But I will be honest. Couples, you can attest to this. (laughs) That, That burning fire and flame that was there at the beginning, sometimes you get busy. Sometimes you get distracted. Sometimes you can... Focus your entire life on raising kids, and you forgot the person that you committed to love above anybody else. Sometimes you forget the one, and the person that's right in front of you, that's living life with you every single day, you start taking them for granted. And this has nothing to just do with romantic relationships. This is to do with what are the things, what are the people that God puts in front of you today? Your coworkers, your friends, your small group members a mom, a dad, sibling, a cousin, whoever that is for you, sometimes we take for granted the people that are right in front of us. Don't miss it. And to the audience here in Hebrews, the author is saying that Jesus has been revealed to you. You've been waiting and waiting and waiting and now even for us as a modern audience, have you read the stories? Jesus came and he lived and he performed miracles and signs and wonders. He's given you everything that you've asked for and sometimes it's still not enough to go all in with Jesus. He is the one that you've been waiting for. Don't wait. Go all in with him. Don't miss the signs. He is the one. Amen? That's the first section. The second contrast is this. If you skip ahead to chapter three and four, Jesus is greater than the angels, and now Jesus is greater. He's superior to Moses and the promised land. Now, it's easy to say that and say, well, John, that's a no brainer, but put yourself in the position of these God fearing Jews. Moses was their hero. Moses was this great Old Testament, larger-than-life character that God had used to help deliver them from slavery in Egypt, and he splits the Red Sea and leads them through it, and he leads them, even though they kind of wandered around, right? This is a larger-than-life person. Moses was a great hero in their mind, and now all of a sudden, I'm supposed to completely change my allegiances? Jesus is greater than Moses, so this is a big deal for them, even if it's not for us. But here's where the rubber meets the road— all of us don't like to have our cheese moved. All of us like our way things the way that we like them. We like the things we like for a reason. We have, all of us, have our traditions just like they had their traditions, and they're not so easily changed. That's why I love that one of our values, all of our campuses here at Hope Elam, is that we worship God, not tradition. Let's say it together. We worship God, not tradition. Now, it's important to say, we love tradition. Tradition is awesome. Many of you grew up in what the world would say more traditional churches, When it comes to how we do church and the music that we sing and the way that we pray and the way that we preach and the way that the building looks, all of that is good. Do you realize that we have rocked out on this stage and do you realize that we just sang a hymn that is hundreds of years old in the exact same worship service? There is nothing wrong with tradition as long as it doesn't become traditionalism. And we start to put it above Other things and our preferences and our ideas and our opinions suddenly become more important than where the spirit is moving. We do all these things and some people say, oh, John, no, I love tradition and I wish that we did more things like that because that's what I grew up with and I wish we could just get back to that and then it would be my kind of church. Others of you are here and you're saying, that's why I'm at Hope Elam because I wanted to get away from all the liturgy and all the traditional stuff and Hope Elam is so new and cutting edge. We're not traditional at all. Do you know that you sit in the exact same pew every single Sunday? That's your, we all got traditions. We've all got our things, and I've watched some of you. You have your pew, and somebody comes up and sits in your pew, and then you're a couple minutes late to church, and you walk up, and you're like, well, what do I do now? I'm all thrown off. The point is this. There's nothing wrong with tradition. There's nothing wrong with tradition, but if you go to the next slide, this is the question I want to challenge you with. question we all have to challenge ourselves with. Where is the way I've always done things getting in the way of what does God want to do in me now? And this is way bigger than style. I want to be a church that's locked in on substance. I don't want to be a church that gets so mixed up on, you know, arguing about delivery methods. It's the message that never changes, and what's constantly changing is the methods of how we most effectively communicate that message of the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs it. Amen? We worship God, not tradition. So God, what do you need to do in me so that you can do whatever you want to do through me? And I don't want to get in the way, I don't want to get in my own way because here's the thing. We talk about the way that God's spirit moves sometimes not just in worship or style of music or preaching or prayer or whatever that is, as like a a wave of the ocean, a move of God, a wave of the Spirit. I want to be a kind of church, let's be the kind of people that even if it's not the way that we expected it, even though the wave didn't come in our tradition or our background or our way of doing church, let's be a church that's standing on the beach with our surfboards ready, and when we see a move of the Spirit of God, I don't care if it's my tradition or not, I'm hopping on that wave and going for a ride. Amen? Let's be that kind of a church. Let's not get so caught up in that, and that is the message to the Hebrews as well. Let's not worship style. Let's lock in on substance, on who this Jesus is. That is where the author is going in chapter 3. He says, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. In other words to his audience to us if you thought Moses was worthy of honor and praise how much more the new and better Moses whose name is Jesus who did not just rescue you from the enemy Pharaoh and from slavery that Jesus has rescued you from a far greater and far more dangerous enemy and that is your own sin and death and Jesus has taken care of that for you today. Amen. So let's give Jesus the place of highest honor and praise. Chapter 3 continues. The story is told of Israel and the rebellion that caused them to lose out on the chance to enter God's rest in the promised land. And a lot of people that started that journey through different generations never entered. Do you know this? One of the reasons the Old Testament is t- so long is because they wandered for a long time. A journey, a journey from Egypt to Canaan to the promised land that was supposed to take about two weeks took 40 years years and it has nothing to do with them not having a smartphone it had to do with the hardness of their hearts and the hardness of our hearts some of us are wandering today maybe not in a direct rebellion or running the other way from god maybe some of you are and today he says turn around because i love you too much but for some of us our wandering is that we just float from church to church, group to group, Bible study to Bible study, partner to partner, substance to substance, trying to fill that ache inside. And we're wandering. And I don't know about you, but I don't think I'm going to look back on my life decades from now and say, you know what? I am so glad that I wandered around for about seven or eight years. I'm so glad that that season of life that we had young kids, we just got apathetic to Jesus and his church. I'm so glad we took that time off. You know, I'm really, really glad that when things got busy at work, I just put God on the shelf for about two or three years because that was a season. Because sometimes a season turns into our lives and the way that we live. If Jesus is who he says he is, the opportunity that he is holding before you today is so much greater than even the promised land that stood ahead of Israel. It is an opportunity to have a daily relationship with the God that created you. And if you are wandering today, the author of Hebrews, God himself is pleading with you, come home, come home, stop wandering around. Stop going halfway. Stop living a lukewarm life. Stop living a double life one way on Sunday and another way. For some of you, you are wrestling with a really ugly past. Something that you're ashamed of. Something that happened to you and you've been carrying it for way too long. For some of you, there is an ugly sin in your life and you feel pretty good because you've got it hidden and nobody knows about it. Especially those church people. They don't know about it. But he does. And what you're not telling anybody is that living a double life, living and hiding that sin, you are exhausted. You're exhausted of hiding. You're exhausted of coming to worship every week, pretending like everything's fine, even though on the inside you're crumbling. Come home. Your father's pleading with you today. Come home. Everything that you're longing for, God has. It's in his hands. Stop wandering around. You don't have to wander for 40 years to come to the same conclusion that they came to. That's what the book of Hebrews is calling out to you. I think at the end of my life, if anything, I'll say, I wish I would have come home sooner. I wish I would have gone all in for Jesus sooner. Now, it's important to note, as you read the book of Hebrews, some of these warnings that pop up in these chapters are going to seem really harsh. You're say, wow. God woke up on the wrong side of the bed. He's angry, God. Don't mistake anger for passion. If you are a good and loving parent, I hope that I am most of the time, we have some neighbors that live across the road and our our kids love to run across the boulevard and go over there. If my son or my daughter is running across there and I see a car coming, as a good and loving father, I am not going to say, dearest Caleb, I am wondering if you would strongly consider backing up or speeding up a little bit because there's a massive card that's coming to run you over, right? Would you consider that? don't mistake anger for passion. I'm gonna say, stop, go, speed up, hurry up, slow down. I don't raise my voice a lot, but I do because I'm passionate because it comes from a place of love. And so as you read the book of Hebrews, it is a good and loving and kind father that is pleading with you, come home. If you have the cure to an incurable disease and people need to know about it, you're not going to keep the good news of that cure to yourself. You're going to tell everybody that you know. Amen? Don't keep it to yourself. Don't mistake passion for anger. This is the heart of the book of Hebrews. Come home. Come out of hiding. So to review, Jesus is superior than the angels. Jesus is superior to Moses in the promised land. And finally, we're going to kind of wrap the last two together. We're going to get to those more in coming weeks. But Jesus is superior to all priests and all sacrifices. Chapter 5 through 7. Jesus is superior to all priests, including Melchizedek. Now, a little bit of Old Testament history. If you don't know that the role of the priest was to represent God's people before him. Primarily to enter into the temple to a place called the Holy of Holies where only those priests could go and they would offer what they hoped was a good enough sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people. And often they would try to find a pure or spotless animal, a dove or even a, oh I don't know, a lamb. And they would try to find a pure and spotless lamb. The problem was is that for hundreds and thousands of years, none of those sacrifices were good enough to ultimately atone for the sins because the priests making the pure sacrifices were flawed human beings themselves. We needed something more until that something more came along and his name was Jesus. Jesus. And we read that Jesus does not come from the line of Aaron, which was the tribe of priests at that time. He came from the line of Melchizedek. Now, who's Melchizedek? By the way, if you're expecting and looking for baby names out there, that is a great Bible name that is available to you. You could do Mel for short, just throwing that out there as an idea, right? Now, who's Melchizedek? Melchizedek was a great leader in Israel's past, a priest and king. And Jesus is from his line. And if Jesus is greater and superior, then that means that Jesus is the ultimate priest and king. The only one who is morally flawless, who gave his life and sacrificed himself, not sacrificed the lamb, but who became the lamb and died so that you and I could have access to God. He is not only uh, morally pure and only able to do that, but also because he is our king in the line of Melchizedek, that he is eternally accessible. Hebrews talks about that our God, Jesus, is a God that is accessible to you anytime, anywhere. You don't have to get yourself washed up in the sink before you jump in the ocean of his grace. You can come to him just as you are. Just as you are. Jesus is that ultimate priest and king, and because of Jesus' sacrifice, because he died and rose again, heaven is opened. And some of you might think, well, that's great theologically, but I want to tell you this is where the rubber meets the road. One of the incredible, incredible privileges that we have as pastors is to be with people during really difficult times of their lives. And maybe you've been there for a friend and a family member when they're taking their last breaths. Maybe you've stood there at a graveside. Maybe you've stood there at a bedside in the hospital. It's been a heavy last couple of weeks in our church family. Pastor Brian and I have both been there, walked with different families through this, and I can tell you this, this is where God's word comes alive. This is where it makes a difference. This is where it's just some guy talking up on a stage, but this is as real as real gets. Because I've been to plenty of funerals and I've been to plenty of gravesides and I've stood by plenty of hospital beds where there is no hope. Because death is the end. As far as that family is concerned, that's it. This is the worst thing that could ever happen to us. God, how could you take this loved one from us? But I have also been to plenty of funerals and plenty of gravesides and plenty of hospital bedsides when somebody is taking their last breath and it is so heavy and it is so sad and filled with so much grief and yet there is an incredible, incredible amount of hope. Because that person had put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's why Hebrews matters. That's why it matters that Jesus is the great priest that stood before God on our behalf and made a way. Because death has been defeated. Amen? Because because the worst thing, the worst thing is never the last thing. And I'm going to be honest with you. It's hard. And it's heavy. I was at the hospital this last week and I had another member of our care team with us and after I spent some time with the family, I said, I need prayer. (laughs) Because this is hard. And it's hard to watch people that you love hurt and struggle. And yet if we didn't know Jesus, we would walk out of there with no hope. Oh, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Jesus is a game changer. That's where theology becomes so real. What is your plan for eternity? What is your plan for heaven? (laughs) Is it your own morality? Is it your own goodness? Or is it the Lamb of God, Jesus himself, who loves you so much this morning that he gave everything for you? I think of the old hymn, The Wondrous Cross. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Jesus is above everything because Jesus is better than everything. Don't wait today. Don't wait. This is what be- it becomes so real, and this is where it gets practical. We use this word around Hope Elam, a lot, it's a church word, it's called discipleship. It's essentially, what it means to follow Jesus, and this would be a great way to understand this word discipleship. Increasingly submitting all of life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Increasingly submitting all of life to the lordship or the kingship of Jesus Christ. Because he is not a king that is at a distance. He's not a king that is not familiar with whatever you're going through this morning. He is present. He is with you. He's waiting to come to you and he has your best interests in mind. He's not trying to steal your freedom. He's not trying to steal your joy. He's saying, live life my way. Live life with me. Become my disciple. Become my follower. We have some incredible ministries here at Hope Ulam. Men's ministry has our kickoff this Thursday. The ladies just came off of an amazing retreat this weekend as well. And the alpha class is going on right now on Tuesday nights. There's small groups. All sorts of things going on. All the worship services we have, the entire point of all of those is not the group or the class or the event. It is to equip you to surrender all of your life to Jesus. That the city of Des Moines would be different on Monday because we've spent this time here on Sunday. That, that, that your life would be so saturated by Jesus. And the best way to do that is in relationship. Don't do the Christian life alone. We need each other. Submit all of life to him. At the end of the day, the book of Hebrews, the author is pleading with us. Jesus above everything. And you want to know where this church is going? You want to know the heartbeat of this church? It's that. It's our number one value. Jesus is life and the rest is details. Jesus greater than anything. Everything or anyone. That's where we're going. And every time that we worship together, that's our hope. Not that we would point you to a political agenda, to a social agenda, to some cause, to some issue, to some opinion, whatever it is. We're here to point you to Jesus Christ and let the overflow of those things impact everything that we do as a church. Jesus is the one. Amen? As we prepare our hearts for Holy Communion this morning, take a look at this final video and just sit and be in the presence of God and stand in awe. Every story in the Bible points to him. Every story whispers his name. Take a look. There is no other king like him. No other king. And the challenge of the book of Hebrews is this. If that's true, then he deserves all of my worship and all of my devotion and all of my life submitted to him, the one true king. Amen? Amen. Whether you're worshiping with us online or here in the room, let's stand together for Holy Communion.